Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Enterprise Linux Security. I'm here as always with Zhao. How are you doing? I'm fine, Jay. A pleasure as always to be here with you. As it is for me as well. So we're going to talk about 2FA, and I'm kind of surprised that I didn't think about this sooner, actually, because it's such a, a, a you know, a, a big topic. And, you know, especially considering I, I literally have just created a video on um, that, that goes over the YubiKey recently on the YouTube channel. So I was already thinking about 2FA, but for some reason, I just didn't think to mention it. Yeah. And as more and more companies move toward it and move their systems towards 2FA, this is getting really important to talk about. Um, in while this is not the basic of the basics, this is probably the next step up uh, in what regards authentication and getting your users secure when they're accessing your systems. Yep. So we're talking about second factor authentication, which uh, for those that don't know, and I think probably I think most of our audience know what it is by definition. So I'm not going to make this a you know total total definition that's going to take like 15 minutes. But it's effectively after you enter a password then you have something like something that generates a code or you have um, like a key that's going to be your second factor, something that you have in addition to something that you know, which means that if someone on the outside gets access to your password, that would be really terrible. And yes, you should always change that password if someone gets it, even if you do have 2FA, but at least it gives you a window where they can't get any further, assuming that you've implemented it correctly because they don't have your security token. Now, if they are able to get your password and your security token, then there's probably another problem going on here that is more most likely beyond our scope for this podcast. Yeah. Um, but the, the basic idea of this is that someone that wants to hack your account has to do more than just steal your password or guess your right. password. And your license plate is not a good password because somebody can just watch you get out of your car in the parking lot. Um, even if it has letters and numbers. Uh, but uh, yeah, using 2FA, it means that you need something else, like like you just said, Jay. And it's not just uh, having, a, I don't know, having a USB stick or having some other type of authentication. It can even be an SMS message that gets sent, and we'll get into why that's not really a very right. good idea anymore. Um, but yeah, that's probably one of the most popular 2FAs that exists. Now, one thing that I've noticed, and and we're not going to do, talk about this at all, which I'm just bringing it up so that way no one thinks that we will. I mean, yes, we're going to talk about security keys, but when I did the YubiKey video, I, I received some comments like, did you try this key? Did you try this product that's a security key? This one, this one, this one. And then if you look on Amazon or other websites, I mean, there's so many of these keys that it's impossible for anyone to go through them all. So, you know, I found one in my case, you know, Yubico, the makers of YubiKey is not a sponsor of this podcast. They've never sponsored my channel ever. I just use it because it's the first one I tried and it worked for me. I did some research. Uh, there's some good reviews, but we're not going to be going over a breakdown of all the different products out there because they they seem to come out of the woodwork, like like from every single place. It's just staggering how many there are. We're not going to do that, but we're going to talk about it in general, um, how to implement it. Um, you know, I've, I'll probably mention the YubiKey only because that's what I know. And also uh, how to not do it because there's some wrong ways, like you mentioned SMS. And yes, I can't wait to get to that part of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, another one that's very, actually, it's probably one of the easiest to implement is having some type of uh, authenticator generating codes that change every minute. And you have to input the correct code when you're trying to log in the code that uh, 
the application that's running, say, on your mobile phone or a tablet or something else, that's not your actual computer. If it's in the same computer, it's not very good because somebody might hack your computer and then they'll have the password and they'll have the thing that you're supposed to use in addition to the password. But keeping that in a separate device, um, and that's probably the easiest way to to do this because there are modules for PAM that just tie into Linux and you can use it for authentication on basically any Linux system. Um, but yeah, having a, an authenticator application, Google has one that's pretty good. You just need to tie it up to whatever account that you're running. And you can use the same application for multiple services. You're not making the others more insecure by doing that. And it, again, it's not foolproof, but it helps. It's probably better than just simple passwords. It's obviously better than simple passwords. Um, but um, yeah, like I mentioned before, um, sending a, a text message to your phone, and this is a really nice one, because most home banking websites, for example, use this. You try to log in, you try to do an operation, they'll confirm it by sending a code to your phone. The thing is, like we've talked about in the past in previous episodes, uh, an attack that's going around that's, uh, that's having some success is an attacker tricking the, the phone company's employee into changing the SIM card of your phone to a different phone. And then that second phone will also receive those SMS messages. So you're trying to get into a system, they'll get your password some other way, and then they'll have your two-factor authentication as well. So effectively rendering it useless. And we know for a fact that this has been going on and attacks like this have increased. And the only thing that, that's needed is for the attacker to convince the phone company person that, that's on the other side of the, of the line that they lost their phone and they need to change their number to, to yours, for example. There, there has to be a reason why banks are often an example here because it, it seems to be very common. And I remember um, some years ago, I was listening to the Security Now podcast, which is one of my personal favorites. And every now and then somebody might write the, um, you know, the leader of that podcast. And if they notice some kind of security, you know, dumb thing out there and somebody was at their bank. And I don't even remember what bank it was. It, it wasn't a big name. It wasn't Chase or, you know, any of those other big ones. But he was this individual was signing up for an account because they just opened up an account. So he was signing up for a you know web account for his account. And while he was doing so, he got a message and um, it said that you can't use this password because it's already been used by someone else. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> and then and I'm like, you, you got to be kidding me that that who would have made like what's the process of making a password check that is unique and then telling somebody that it's been used by another customer on that same site? I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> you know, but anyway, that's an aside. That's banking. Getting back to the main topic. Um, um, just on that, yeah. that's just a, a more obvious problem of those websites that let you type in an email to get your recovery link. And oh, then they'll yeah. tell you, oh, that email does not exist or is not in our database. Thank you for that information. That's very nice of you, website. And let me try a few hundred more to see if anyone is there. That's. Right. <laughs> That's just a different level of the same problem. Um, by the way, if you're writing websites, if you're writing, if you're writing these type of applications, please don't do this. Please don't let people know more information than they're supposed to know. Don't let them know if an account exists or not. Just tell them something like, "Okay, if this email exists in our database, it will receive an email, uh, an email shortly right. with the link for the recovery." 
that way you're not giving the attacker more information than it, than he needs to to have. Um, yeah. But you're, some websites yeah. still do it that way, and that's really silly. Now your username is correct, but your password isn't. Like, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's all. Kind of, I mean, we could probably do a dedicated episode just on all the silly things that we've seen. But when it comes to you know two FA, it's like. There's all these different technologies. Some are directly related to 2FA and some are not. You have, you, you know, you mentioned uh, OTP one-time pass, or no, you mentioned TOTP, time-based one-time passwords, which is what that is when you have a code that changes. You have one-time passwords, which you know is a you know lower subset of that, where it's not time-based, but it is a one-time password. You use the password, you can only use it one time. You can never use that again. Um, there, there's that. There's FIDO2 there, and that's one of the things that kind of makes this confusing. Because if you're, you know, just getting into this and you're like, yeah, I'd like to use a security key and have everybody at the company do that. Um, which one do I buy and which technology do I go with? Um, now, we're, we're not going to go too deep within that, but I just wanted to define, you know, some of these terms because, you know, like I mentioned, OTP, one-time password. And have OT or TOTP, time-based one-time password, which is going to be like your Google Authenticator. Like you're mentioning, it you know runs on your mobile phone, generates a key, it's a separate device. Or I've even seen actual dongles that do not plug into your computer at all. They have a battery that lasts like a finite amount of time, and it's disposable. You just toss it. Um, it's deactivated, and you don't change the password. When the I can't remember who made these, but they're pretty cool. They just have the the time based password right there on an LCD screen. And you just throw it in the trash when you no longer are going to use it. It's deactivated in the system after a certain amount of time. You get a new one. So you just keep cycling through those. And that's pretty cool. Uh, there's all kinds of different ways you could do that. And YubiKey is one of them, which I've mentioned. That's something people can uh, learn more about if they watch my video. So I won't cover that specifically. But at the end, when it all comes down to it, 2FA, you, you know, something you have along with something you know, which is your password, is not going to make you unhackable, but it is going to make it a lot harder. You know, someone's going to have to work a lot harder to uh, get in unless, of course, you have that implemented in a way that is easy to bypass. And you obviously, when you said you throw it in the trash, that was just an expression. It's waste. You should always recycle that because that's dangerous for the environment. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I have a drawer full of this that I call crap, my trash, and it's not, it never leaves the house, but I also never go into it either. <laughs> but, oh, I can know. totally relate to that. The yep. piles and piles of old motherboards and old graphics cards that I have somewhere in the house, it's amazing. I'm never going to do anything with that, but I won't throw that in the trash. Well, come on, if you're going to play one of those old wizardry games from the, you know, that came out in the eighties, you're going to need that G, that AGP GPU or that uh, or whatever it was before that. With the yeah, I still have those CRT monitors there, so I can still show it like it used to be. There you go. Anyway, we digress very much here. <laughs> exactly. Um, get it back on getting back on track. Two FA can also can also use something different. It can also use biometrics. It can be your fingerprint. It can be your eye, your iris impression. It could be your palm. It can be lots of different things. It doesn't have to be another code. It can be another way of verifying your identity. Right. And um, again, some are more secure than others. But when you get biometrics in the middle, you're making it harder for someone to to simulate being you. So. If that's an option there, don't you think it's annoying if you're the user? Think that you're getting a more secure experience by using it. 
Right. Now, there's a couple of of things I've noticed while using, you know, 2FA myself that has, um, you know, that, that really kind of really annoys me because I know that it's obviously bad, but, you know, um, you have this customer support angle where you have a company that's going to be receiving a lot of phone calls if um, users can't log in, they need to lower the amount of calls or hire more people, but they also don't want to make it easy for people to bypass, then what's the point? Um, we mentioned SMS, which I don't like because I feel like SMS, like if I'm on the phone and you, and obviously this would be pretty horrible. Like if, you know, I'm talking to, I'm talking to tech support. They're trying to get me access to my account. I'm the legitimate person here. And they're like, yeah, put in my password, put in your password. Okay. I'll type in the password. I just typed it in. And now it's asking for my, my code, which is seven, four, seven. And I'm just, you know, reading out loud as I type it, which you should never do, obviously. But I feel like SMS is the, almost the equivalent of that in a way, because of how many different ways that somebody can eavesdrop or be a man in the middle with an SMS. Um, it, it would scare you. Uh, I'm not going to go into detail there. Um, obviously, it's not like a walk in the park that any beginner could intercept an SMS message, but it is commonly something that can be done. So when I see a company that only has the SMS option, I don't really like that. But what I what I really dislike even more than that is, um, and, and I've seen this happen, where there's a link right underneath where you type your TOTP code, and it says something like, um, have you forgotten your device or have you lost your uh, your two-factor device? Um, yes, I did, as a matter of fact, said the hacker. <laughs> and then they click on it. And then since they already have control of the email anyway, they yeah. just hit the button. They get that alert in their email. They click on that. They authenticate that. And they're anyway. right in there. So one of the things that I think is important for people to understand is that 2FA is only as good as how it's implemented. And most of the time, at least in my experience, correct me if you feel differently, is that it's usually the other end, you know, the the product, the app, the website that's doing it wrong because maybe they only allow SMS or they do give you that link you can click on to bypass your 2FA. And if a website is doing that, I kind of feel like they're lowering the reputation of two-factor and contributing to maybe someday people thinking that it's not all that great because if other companies take that easy way out and let their customers take the easy way out and bypass the key, then you may as well, in my opinion, not even offer that to people. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, oh, yeah. The the way that I don't know if I should say most, but many websites deal with that, uh, with the SMS thing is that they give you also a time period within which you have to enter the code or else it expires. So you receive the SMS and you have, say, two minutes to type it in. That alleviates some of the problem of somebody eavesdropping because they'll have to look at the SMS in your phone and then go running to some device somewhere and then trying it before you do. Um, that's one of the things. And they seem to have lost my train of thought there. Right. Um, and that is, well, I can, add, I can add something to that while you regain your train of thought. Um, what, what is very common that I've noticed is that especially with a small company that becomes a big one, you'll have a you know one person that has access to a you know an important service, and naturally, if an SMS is going to be sent, it'll be sent to that person's phone. So, if a technician or engineer is working on it, they might call that person and say, "Hey, can you give me? It might, it might have sent you a text. I'm working on it right now. Can you help me out?" And that's good if you call the person, or especially on a Zoom call where you see that it's them asking. But what I also see and this makes me cringe is on like something like Slack 
you'll have somebody say, yeah, I'm trying to log in right here. I think it's going to your phone. Can you just give me the, the code? And if someone has access to Slack, if somebody has broken into your Slack account and they're watching these messages, they could be someone you're, you don't even know who it is. And then, you know, it's also a problem as well. So, so true. Yeah. That's definitely a problem. Um, and it just compounds on, and on, in a way it's lateral movement. It's people trying to get more access when they enter a system, when they break into something. So they get into account that has access to Slack and now they're trying to, to elevate their access into getting into other systems by tricking someone else to giving them more, more information. Yep. Um, what you were saying before, and I just remember about lowering the reputation at 2FA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you mentioned, it's a problem with the implementation and it's usually a problem with the implementation in the back end in the, the actual website or application that's using it. Um, some of the, the most common 2FA implementations are used as a type of middleware. Say Google will give you a secure login and then you can use that login to a different website or application or something as long as you register with Google. Um, if you don't do that, if you do that properly, if you let people just register a new device, a new token, when they say they forgot the old one, then you're the one doing the problem. It's not to FA, it's your website, it's your application that's at fault there. And right. At the very least, if you provide that link at some type of delay, like a one or two days delay where you cannot log into the, to the device with the new one, just okay, you lost your one, okay, then you have to wait two days until you do what you're trying to do right now. And that at least will get you some time for you to verify, to do some background checks, to actually try to get in touch with the, the person if you have some way to contact them. And we'll try to alleviate the problem, but yeah, letting people just change that, that will, it's probably not a good idea. Yeah, that's that's absolutely the case, and I, I almost wonder if Slack if Slack has to be a very common target nowadays because there's so much you could do if you have if you're in the actual communication system, <laughs> sending messages back and forth. But I digress. Um, second factor, I also feel like it's a victim of the check the box mentality that I feel like some companies have that I hope companies get away from where. They, they know that they need to implement something and then they do implement that thing because they know it's a great idea to do so. They've checked the box and they do nothing else. So for example, yes, we have made sure that every single account and we've audited this uses 2FA and requires 2FA and we're good, check the box. But what yeah. they probably should be doing is trying to bypass, you know, set up a sample account and try to bypass the things that they set up 2FA on and see what happens. And if they're able to, if they get a link to bypass it, or you know, what is what does what does this actually look like if someone else is trying to get in? What would they see? You can't just check the box and move on because the check the box mentality means that you know there's probably a corner cut somewhere, in my opinion. Yeah, tell your penetration testing team that that's one of the things you want them to test on their next uh, their next assessment. Um, yep. That's something that should be tested and tested really well by a, an attacking team, a red team. Get the, those guys to, to try to break the system before a hacker that you don't want to get in actually does that. And finding those types of things, it's something that they really thrive on. It's what gets them on every day. And those are the holes that they'll be looking for. Abusing those types of recovery links, abusing the trust in the system, abusing weak implementations, that's their bread and butter. So. Yep. If you do something like that, if you implement something like that, try to get someone to attack it. That's the best way that you can make sure it's properly implemented. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, at some point, you know, in my career, which I'm not advertising my um, abilities at all, I'm not giving anyone an invitation to contact me for this, but I think I do want one day to do an initial security penetration test, you know, of course, telling someone that I'm not that person, but I wouldn't mind taking an initial look and just kind of get a feel for what that looks like before they actually get a firm that, you know, actually does a good job with this kind of thing. Because I, you know, and I've talked to people that do this as, a, you know, their job, penetration testing, and the, the stories that they come back with are, are just so entertaining because it's like, you you know, just like we were talking like in our previous episode, it's all about these security things that, and people focus on this, they have this great security design and then it's defeated by the dumbest possible thing ever. Like I literally worked at a company once where I left my key fob at the desk when I left the building and you could get into the, you know, only so far you couldn't get into the rest of the building. And I just um, went through the lunchroom and they squeezed in between the wall and this divider. <laughs> and I was right back at my desk without a PFOB being necessary. So um, there's always that. And that's exactly what you need to watch out for. Now, in terms of second factor, it's about making sure that when you implement it, you're testing it. You're not just blindly trusting it. Yes, it is a great thing but also how good and how secure is the device? What's the reputation? Is the company known to you know keep the firmware up to date? If it has that kind of thing, has it been audited? Um, you have to ask those questions. And then if you, even if you don't hire an outside firm, at least yourself, and of course, tell your management you're doing this so you don't get in trouble, um, try to get in w- without it and see if you can get into anything without it. That'll at least give you an idea what the strength of the individual services are that you're protecting behind 2FA. Yeah, but some distance from the, the application, from the system here, it actually helps. If you're an attacker that knows what's implemented and knows what's in place right. there, you're probably going to look for things that uh, someone that's coming from the outside with no previous knowledge, it's going to be different. And right. you probably don't want to have that uh, that knowledge at hand when you're trying to do the attack. You want someone going in blind and trying everything that they can to, to break the system. So that's why a, an outside agent there is probably better than someone that works at the company. They're always um, better. Yeah, always the case. Yep. Um, yeah, some distance helps. It's like when you're writing something. At some point, you make obvious mistakes that you don't catch because you read what you want to read, not what's actually there. Mm-hmm. And this type of blindness, it also sets in in security. So getting some outside eyeballs looking at your at your stuff, it, it helps a lot. That's and, exactly why anytime I, in the past, have hired a new employee, I've always had that person's first project be to audit the documentation while they learn. Because I know as soon as they become a seasoned employee with a lot of experience, what you said is exactly right. They're conditioned. They know what to look for. That's habitual. But what I found is if you get an employee on that when they're first starting, they will ask some really good questions and will expose a lot of weaknesses in just their first day alone. Yeah. You might not like that. You might not like someone pointing out your weaknesses, but just keep in mind that it's better if it's one of your employees and you have the the ability to fix them without the pressure of an attack rather than having someone from the outside attacking the company through those weaknesses that you should know but don't know about. I love it when someone does that, you know, anywhere I've worked, when someone brings up something I didn't think about um, and they might be nervous to bring it to my attention, but my response is, oh my gosh, that's great. Wow, look at that. It's so simple and effective what you found and we need to definitely get that fixed. 
Yeah, unfortunately, not everybody thinks that way. And sometimes you get people in trouble by pointing out their mistakes. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. Uh, I, I just, I, you know, I know it's not a popular thing. I love to be wrong because when I'm wrong, I learn. If I feel Absolutely. I'm right, I'm not even trying to learn. So being wrong is the best thing ever because you learn the most when you're being vulnerable about, hey, I have no idea anything about that at all. And being open about that, like it's a different approach. It builds trust, but it also means that you're not bragging and overpromising, but you're being accountable and you want to fix it and you're glad somebody brought it to your attention and everybody's all the better for it. Yeah. Overconfidence is a slow and insidious killer. And if somebody gets the reference, please type it in the comments below. Anyway, um, don't think that <laughs> if you're listening about all of this about 2FA and you still don't have it on your systems, don't worry. Not all the companies have this implemented in their systems. Just, uh, I don't know, let me check the date yesterday. And this will date the episode. Apologies for that. But GitHub just announced that they will start to implement 2FA and start to make it mandatory at the end of 2023. So yeah, guess what? It's almost a year and a half in the future, and that's when it's going to be mandated in GitHub. And so I think imagine, I read that. Um, you imagine the amount of important yeah. stuff that's on GitHub. I, I read that differently. Um, I, I, you know, as you're reading that to me, I, I read, "Hey hackers, just letting you know that um, <laughs> second factor isn't going to be as much of a problem for you yeah. until the end of 2023. So make sure you get your hacking in before then, when we when we make that happen." And we have numbers to back that up because not only is that what you just said absolutely true, only 16% of users in GitHub currently have 2FA enabled. So all the rest is wide open. And we just recently explored how people are still using weak passwords like pass for their accounts. Right. I imagine I would really like this to be true. I don't know if it is, but I'm sure as hell hoping that it is. Uh, GitHub does not let you use four-letter passwords for your accounts, but still, that a very large proportion of accounts on GitHub does not have 2FA, so you just have to crack the password if you want to break an account. So I, I have to say, like I, this is not official information. Obviously, this is purely opinion and speculation. But I just wonder how much of this issue with GitHub only getting around to this now is a Microsoft problem. Now, I know for sure it's at least part a GitHub problem because they should have had this by now. And I know they were acquired by Microsoft. But, you know, I, I remember working with Azure at one point and then something came up where they were mandating that um, 2FA be required with Azure. And I remember thinking then, and this was like probably two years ago at this point, that I was thinking, wow, only now? Like, really, Microsoft? Um, okay, but it's good that you're getting to it. But now, the end of 2023, um, I feel like if anybody knows the importance of protecting things, it's GitHub of all companies, because like they are used by a staggering number of companies to store really important things. And it's actually kind of amazing to me that they're even giving anyone until the end of 2023. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a very, very surprisingly low amount of people that already have to FA enable. Um, the thing with Microsoft, it's their size. The amount of people that would be annoyed if they stop being able to, to use simple authentication on their accounts is amazing. Because right. you have to keep in mind that there are scripts that are kept on private GitHub repositories that are part of the DevOps um, operations at some companies and that they get pulled from from github and if you have to change your scripts to account for 2fa 
that's not trivial. And the script gets really complicated if you have to add additional authentication measures there. It's not trivial to just adapt the existing scripts to accommodate for accounts with 2FA enabled. Having tried to do that myself, I know the amount of work that that entails. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, and yeah, if you just forced everybody to, okay, you need to have 2FA tomorrow or next week or a month from now, people will just start out and start screaming murder at Microsoft. And it's even not even that because I re, like last week, literally, like I'm not even making this up. It's so timely that I'm mentioning this and that it actually happened to me. Um, I started getting actual alerts that my Ansible jobs were failing on every single server all of a sudden. I'm like, what's going on? At, at first, I thought like maybe I had a bad commit or something, but I didn't even make a commit that week at all. And I've had successful runs. But what I found out was that since I have automatic updates enabled, then the, you probably already know where I'm going with this. Um, the the Git binary itself was updated, and there was a new security workaround where um, they they enforce safe directories. So if you have a directory that's owned by a specific user on the system, but you're a different user, and then you try to do like a Git pull or something, it's going to block you and say, no, you can't do this. You're not the user that owns this. And I didn't even know this was going to happen until it did. And then I started seeing all the jobs fail. So I was able to fix it. But, you know, Git isn't going to wait to implement something to protect Git. So why would GitHub themselves, which obviously they're not related, but they're, they're linked, but not related. GitHub is going to wait. But I'll tell you, if another security vulnerability happens, and that's how Git manages it, which I approve of, by the way, I don't mind if I'm inconvenienced, if it's for security, then... If they're not going to wait, then why should GitHub wait? You know. Well, you're not inconvenienced if it's for security, but right. if that inconvenience means you lose millions of dollars every day because your systems are no longer receiving the scripts that they should be receiving, someone is getting inconvenienced somewhere, and it's really going to hurt them. And that's probably yeah. why Microsoft can just come out and do those changes willy-nilly. What? Yes, the size of Microsoft is what prevents them from being agile on this type of things. It's what keeps them with very old stuff running on Microsoft Windows for so many years and that they cannot touch it because they'll annoy someone somewhere that relies on it. And on GitHub, it's the same thing. Even before Microsoft, the, the amount of reliance that existed on GitHub, it was phenomenal. Everybody right. and their dog had an account on GitHub. There was code for everything and something else on GitHub. And taking GitHub away or changing the way that people access GitHub, because you, you need to understand the level of automation around this. It's not just manual pulls that get done into GitHub. People are just not logging into GitHub on their web browsers. It's part of the scripts, getting stuff from GitHub. And again, changing those scripts, it's really tough to add to FA to a script. Yeah, that's true. And you'll, really... you'll stop being able to run it manually. It will always ask you for the, the 2FA. So you can no longer run that automatically. Somebody has to be there when it runs to, to fill in the details. And that really sucks because it defeats the whole purpose of automation. It, it does. And there's also that I've noticed a, um, you know, GitHub is so popular that it's hard for a lot of people to separate Git from GitHub to where Anytime I go over Git, just Git, I have to spend a certain amount of time to educate the people that I'm currently working with 
about the fact that Git and GitHub are not the same thing. Yes, they are related, but it, but you know that's how you know people think of it. Like if I say, yeah, I'm using a, a Git repository. Oh, you mean a GitHub repository? Uh, no, I actually mean a Git repository. Um, but you know, I, to your point, you know, with so many people, this is you know GitHub is Git to them. Like there, there's no separation, um, even though there is, they don't understand that. So, you know, when you have something like this happen, I do understand that that's going to be a big deal. But at the same time, security does cause people or cause people to lose money. You might lose money when you implement that fix and it inconveniences people, but you might lose a lot more money if you don't implement something and you get completely taken over and your reputation is tarnished and you have to work to get it back. So it seems like either way, you're going to lose something, you know? That's absolutely true, but people don't want to lose anything. Uh, yeah, I don't want to lose anything either, but I, you know... That's I could, why they don't patch yeah. immediately like we always <laughs> warn them about. That's yeah. why people take so long to deploy simple patches. But uh, this is the same thing. You're going to inconvenience a very large proportion of your users if you do this. If only 16% of your users are already using 2FA, and you're going to force the, re the remaining 80% or more to do that immediately, they won't be happy about it. And they'll start to complain, and they'll probably move their repository somewhere else where they're not forced to do that. Um, and you don't want that. As Microsoft, you do not want to lose those customers. I know they're not paying to use the free repositories, but large companies are paying them a lot. Yeah, I've, I've seen large companies use free accounts too, even though they're technically not supposed to do that. But, yeah. um, you know, it's just how the industry goes. So, you know, some people might read this as, uh, yeah, that's a, that's good to know ahead of time. I have until the end of 2023 to implement uh, second factor authentication. But I prefer that, especially our listeners, read this as, yeah, do it now. <laughs> do it right now. <laughs> do it now. Don't wait till yeah, then. Just because you have that long doesn't mean you have that long. Um, I would even argue that the fact that they put a timeline on there means that the traf the negative traffic is probably going to pick up quite a bit because now people are going to be trying to get, you know, or steal everything out of GitHub that they possibly can before they do this. So if nothing else, I'm reading this as implement second factor right now. And it's not just steal. We, we've talked about um, supply chain attacks. If you right. compromise an account that has a, a repository for a common Node.js package or something like that that's lying on GitHub, and you compromise the code there if you introduce malicious behavior into that package, and it then gets pulled by the automatic build tools, and it gets published, and it gets picked up by other applications that pull that library, that's a massive issue. And all it took was a compromised account. And if you don't have to FA, that compromised account only had to, to lose access to the password. You only had to break the password to get access to that repository. Uh, that's where 2FA is really strong. Uh, it's in making this type of attacks harder. And this is why GitHub is probably moving in this direction. It's because uh, compromised accounts have been used to, to modify Node.js packages, a lot of them recently. Right. And it, I mean, GitHub is, is a great thing and it could also be a not so great thing. Like, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of talking too much about this, but, you know, as we've mentioned, uh, it's strange how many API keys and clear text passwords end up making their way into public Git accounts or GitHub accounts and or repositories, I meant to say. And it, it's it's like, okay, I, I get it. You're a beginner. That's fine. But no, uh, we, we need to try to not have that go on. But if it if somebody leaks a, a password in there, that could cause a supply chain attack because all someone would have to do is 
be like, I wanna, I wanna hack this product in particular. I'm gonna watch every single Git account that is associated by name to any of the employees to see if any of them ever have um, you know, uploaded something that's they shouldn't have uploaded. But not only that, another thing that they'll do is they'll go back through the history. Oh, they they uploaded an API key, but then they um deleted it and then pushed a new commit, but they didn't delete the history. So they just get checkout yeah. and then grab it anyway. So um Git GitHub is one of those things where you know, it's not like your Twitter account or Facebook account, which absolutely can bite you. It's worse because there's more ways that a Git or a GitHub account could actually bite you than a lot of other accounts can. Yeah, the the damage potential there it's it's massive. It's not just losing your account or your personal data. Because you have public code there, that code could have been picked up by anybody and could be used somewhere else that you're not even aware of. And a compromise on that code will affect code that you're not even aware is using your own. And this just explodes really quickly because then that code that gets compromised is pulled by another code somewhere and then another and another. And all of a sudden you have products that had no relation to the original compromised repository now being uh, open to, to hacks that they were not supposed to be. And this is not just a just a scenario. This is something that has actually happened in the past, in the recent past, actually. Um, just remember when that um, when that dev decided to to change the code on their own repository and make the their own library not functioning, and the amount of damage that, that caused. That had ramifications on dozens and dozens and dozens of other of other programs that relied on it. And that was the dev himself. So if somebody had access to his account, and another thing. A single account can have hundreds of repositories. That developer had access to hundreds of, uh, of other repositories. So compromising that account would give you access to all the other ones. This is massive. Really it is massive. massive. And the more I think about it, and I really hope I'm wrong. I really do, but I'm I'm often right. And I like I said, I like to be wrong. I really do. Um, but I but this time I'm afraid I might not be. I think that this is going to get worse because like I mentioned earlier, you know, obviously there's a time there's a timeline here. So I would almost treat this like a zero day type situation where it's like, do it now. Like let's get I'm not saying implement two up two factor on all your accounts in a hurry to where you do a bad job. Start looking into it right now and try to get this implemented because you know, people are going to be looking around and trying to find a way in now more yeah. than ever. So I, I think I'm going to just call on companies right now, implement 2FA. If you haven't done it, do it. Uh, look into it. Uh, research this. Talk to your people about it. Get some meetings together. Uh, make this a priority because, you know, now that we have a timeline, uh, there might be some additional aggressiveness when it comes to people trying to do whatever they're trying to do. And I think it's just a good idea to implement second factor anyway. So if you haven't done that yet, it's a good time to start. Yeah, absolutely. And this whole tangent with uh, GitHub was just to show that, uh, yeah, if you don't have to have implemented at your company yet, don't worry, you're not the only one. Even the largest of large uh, companies on the internet, they don't have it everywhere yet either. But just look into it and see how you can implement it in your services, and that will increase the security. I think once once you get, you know, when you learn about security as much as we know, big company really doesn't make us feel any better. 
<laughs> like, I mean, you had like big, big chain stores that have been taken over. You know, you've had uh, a certain, um, you know, credit reporting company. I won't say the name of everybody knows the name of that got blown wide open. And and these are huge companies. And how many times has yeah. Sony been breached now? <laughs> So if anything, I think hearing big company actually makes me more nervous because the smaller company with, you know, smaller things to keep an eye on, or I mean, fewer things to keep an eye on, they probably have an easier job keeping control of this than, you know, like a 15 employee company versus a 400 employee company. There's a, there's a big difference there. Yeah. And it goes to show that even having more people working in IT will not solve all the problems. So. Yeah. No, just more people taking shortcuts. As much as I don't want to generalize <laughs> anyone, anybody, because I mean, surely nobody listening to this podcast is that person. <laughs> of course not. And nobody talking in this podcast is that person either. I've never made mistakes. <laughs> what am I talking about? Wait, I just said I like to be wrong. Darn it. I can't walk that back. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, but I guess we've, we've gone over this a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah, this this GitHub thing, it was just a tangent on the 2FA. 2FA really imp improves the security of your applications if done properly. If you just do it to, to take the box like you mentioned before, well, it doesn't really help that much. But I doing it properly, it will help increase the security of the systems. And it you can use it well. basically everywhere. You can use it for system authentication as an account, as a user account, or you can use it on specific applications. Basically, anywhere that you see a login and password box, you can add to FA. Just look yep. at ways that you can include, include that in your programming language of choice and, and go for it, because basically any language will have support for this now. And don't have two-factor on your computer, like you were already saying earlier, um, where somebody gets a hold of your computer, they can, I mean, it doesn't help. Yeah. It if you're if a 2FA application, if you're relying on an authenticator, don't start it on the same computer as you're usually working from. Yeah. You're just making the attacker's life easier. They don't need your help. What is your opinion? And this could be like maybe the last thing, so I think we are going over, and even I'm noticing it. With um, the average company that I've experienced anyway, um, they'll say, hey, do you have a smartphone new employee? Yes, I do, as a matter of fact. Do you have an iPhone or an Android? I have an Android. Okay, uh, here's the link to the uh, 2FA app. I want you to load that on your phone. And they'll, okay, no problem. Then they do it. But how long until some kind of malware on smartphones does some sort of screen reading because it's a personally owned phone, not company property. So who knows what kinds of bugs might be on that phone. And then it screen reads the 2FA app. I personally, my opinion, um, I, I don't feel for me and my company, I would ever want to have anybody load anything on their personal phone at all whatsoever. I want things to be separated even away from that as, as a yeah. separate object that they're you know, assigned. Phones, for example. What's that? Work, phone, work phones yeah. and not personal phones, for example. A work phone um, or one of those token, those physical tokens, yeah. PLCD I was uh, mentioning yeah. earlier, would be probably better. I, I hope, again, I hope I'm wrong and that doesn't happen, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we did see screen reading malware and if uh, I gave somebody an idea to create this. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you mean it doesn't exist already? I know, I'm sure it does. <laughs> it has to. I'm sure it does. Um, a few years back, and this was years back, it's not just weeks or months. Um, the actual Facebook application was caught enabling the webcam and taking photos of whatever was looking at the phone every now and then. And that was only picked up because the application glitched and showed the, the actual image behind it. And it glitched in a way that uh, the, the thing that was in front that you were never supposed to see the, the photo in the background. 
it didn't render properly. So you could see what, uh, what the, the application was actually taking a picture of. And it was not letting the users know that it was taking that picture. And it was Facebook. So, yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, to give Facebook, you know, at least some credit here, I mean, considering that Zuckerberg is not completely human, he's kind of, I would say, at least half Android at this point. Um, when he becomes fully, you know, full Android and his brain is completely digitized, maybe he'll be have, have a neural link that'll absolutely find these problems and fix them before they become actual problems. Oh, I digress. Anyway, and, and to be fair, though, and, you know, getting back to reality, um, considering Facebook said, is a company just, that just uh, just an yeah. aside, when you said Neuralink, there you missed the the billionaire. It's the other one that has the Neuralink. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. So, um, but that's actually a thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. So, but you know, let's keep in mind, according to an interview and even Facebook's own admission, some time back. They're literally keeping tabs and tracking information on people that don't have a Facebook account. So oh, yeah. nothing else surprises me at this point. And I'm not trying to turn this into an anti-Facebook tinfoil hat kind of thing because I'm not that person. But it is the case that if a non-member clicks a like button somewhere, they're being tracked even though they don't have an account. So at this point, I think anything coming out of Facebook is probably not going to surprise me at all. Data enrichment companies. That's a thing. Is that what they're calling themselves? <laughs> yeah, I think so. But wow. if not what they're calling themselves, it's what the, the security people are calling this type of companies. Data enrichment companies. Wow. You give them one data point and they'll give you thousands of related data points to that person. Yeah, they probably already know uh, what I had for lunch last week. So anyway, <laughs> 2FA is And good. your credit card history and your geographical yeah. coordinates as well. But I digress. Yeah. So I think, you know, we can summarize this by saying 2FA is good. Implement it right now and make sure you test it and implement it wisely. Yeah. And if you have scripts that rely on GitHub, um, try them on a test account and enable 2FA on that test account and see how the scripts break. You'll and they will. Yeah, they absolutely will. If you're not using, what do they call those that. temporary? They're not actual passwords. They're like they, they call them like not app uh, passwords, but they're... Oh, something, tokens, like I believe. something like that. Yeah, they, they, they have a thing. And, and you'll if you're not using that, you will be. You'll be. So you'll have to, to do some changes to the scripts. But uh, if you have a test account where you can try that out before the, this goes into effect, you're saving yourself a headache in the future. Very future true. you will, will thank you. That's absolutely right. Well, future you might not even know that there could have been a problem, which is the paradox, isn't it? But anyway, <laughs> I think we attacked this issue and we got it covered. So, or not issue, but this topic, because it's only issue if you don't implement it. But anyway, two, two factors, good. Um, consider You could consider YubiKey or not. I'm not going to advocate one way or the other. They're, as of today, they're not a sponsor. They could become one. I don't know. But I, I like YubiKey because I've always used it. It's a consideration, but they're, I'd also understand there are you know, alternatives and competing products that you should also look at and make a decision as far as which one is right for you and your people. And I encourage you to, if you haven't already done so, to start that research. You can watch my video to learn more about what YubiKey has and then also consider the uh, competitors as well and whichever one checks all of your boxes and has, a, has the best reputation, go that direction, but absolutely get started on it. Yeah, any layer of security that you can add, it really helps. So, it's just another way. 
just another layer in our security onion, which is uh, the ongoing topic, isn't it? So thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And we will see you again in a week with another episode. Yeah. Till the next one, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye.